It's episode 53 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. Today on the show is Hugo Cornejo. He's the head of design for London-based online bank Monzo. We're going to talk about user experience of people's money and the importance of design in building trust. Hugo, como estas? Y gracias por estar aquí. Whoa, that's that's really cool. Uh, you 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 go uh, really like farther uh, away than uh, most of people. That is only dos cervezas. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I normally. I got that, and I've got uh, donde está la biblioteca. That's oh, it. That, that's that's we, all I got. We don't have. We don't have libraries here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad you're here, and thank you for letting me indulge you with two years of Spanish in high school. That's all I got. Uh, how are you? You doing all right? I'm doing very, very well. Good, good. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show. I got, there's a lot of stuff I, I want to talk about uh, with just regards to. Um, uh, you know, designing around the thing that people would need the most trust in, I think, uh, of all, which is, you know, where they put their money and how they interact with their money and stuff like that. And I know you've been thinking about that for a couple of years, but I did want to, I want to, uh, hear a little bit about sort of how you got into this position, uh, at Monzo as head of design, kind of where it came from and stuff like that. So maybe just a little background. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I go really back, back into, in, in time, um, I studied um, uh, computer science. I, I studied in, uh, computer science. I'm an engineer in computer science. Ah. I work as a developer for for a few years um, back in Spain, um, and then I got a proper education in design and training, and started working as a designer. Um, back in there, I got to work uh, with some banks um, because Spain has a has a quite strong kind of like. Um, not necessarily financial industry, but like the, the Spanish banks tend to be um, are, are in the list of like the biggest and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I f- fell in love with with London and um, visiting here every holiday, that kind of thing. And we end up, uh, my wife and I, we end up moving to London. And this was four four years ago, a bit a bit more. Um, and then I was in a sabbatical. I was working on on my own uh, apps for for iOS and um, like iPad apps that, that I'm, I'm working. I was working with some friends, mm-hmm. um, and then I met the team that uh, went to start Monzo. Um, Mondo was at that at that time. Well, we didn't even have a name at that time. Mm. Um, and the and the, the original kind of um, uh, challenge was um, we are building a bank, right? Which is. Um, the, the story in the UK is that um, at some point the um, the regulators realized that there wasn't enough competition in banking, right? And and they changed um, the regulation, right? Like they relaxed some of the conditions about the capital that you needed in order to start a bank and to get a banking license, uh, and they simplify the process just so new uh, players could could get into a market. Now that's kind of a big deal. Like uh, from my own experience, you know, back in the United States. Uh, there were far, I mean, they've been consolidating over time, but there were far, far more banks than there were in the UK. I mean, there's essentially just like four big giant banks in the UK. And you couldn't even, and, and nobody else could start a bank. It was like there was this like stranglehold on the financial system. And, and this change of like, oh, now like you can get a banking license is super recent. I mean, it was last year. That this that this change happened wasn't it like uh, in the spring of 2017. Yeah, I mean, no, I think it, the first change, but yeah, we are talking like the last 
four or five years. Um, that yeah. all these changes happen, right? And now, like, yes. it's it's sort of finally here, and now you can and, and you can do this. I and mean, that's a that's a big change. It has opened it up to a lot of different types of banks, and I think that's one of the things that that Monzo has specifically sort of no brand, no physical branches, no checkbooks, or you know, writing checks, you know, all that kind of stuff, and really kind of streamlined down into it is like your entire experience with your bank is an app. Definitely, and. Not only that, think think on terms of um, like even even the business, right? Like um, banks, traditional banks, um, they are a, a bank that then they have a, a like a technology team, right? Or a, like an IT team, that kind of stuff. We are a tech company that we have a banking license. Like it's, it's, it's completely different. Like we are a bank on paper, like we are fully regulated and we like we are fully compliant. Don't get me wrong, but as uh, at, in our core, we are. We're a tech company. We're a startup. Right. So the way we design product is way, way closer to how Spotify designs product, yeah. product or, or Pinterest than like Santander. And that makes a big, big difference on how we approach the whole thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, see, I have uh, t- a tiny bit of experience with this in that like I was still somewhat involved in Adaptive Path, the, the agency that I what, co-founded years and years ago. When much later they were acquired by a financial services company called Capital One, they make credit cards mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And the whole explicit reason Capital One wanted a firm like Adaptive Path was around this idea of service design and making like consistent consistency of, of user experience across across all these different touch points that people have, which would be like a call center or going into a location or getting a mailing or getting or, or using an online service of of which there were many, and. And there, there is this idea that technology is over there, but the product that the bank makes is over here and it's a bunch of financial services. And even after 20 years or so ever of like being digital, they still haven't fully integrated, right? Like it's not the same thing. There's still IT there and, uh, or, or digital product here and retail product over there and stuff like that. You guys get to start from scratch doing it, like you said, like a, a modern contemporary technology company would do it. Definitely. And. I mean, think that we had a big advantage. That is, when you start from scratch, there's two things you don't need to worry. The first one is our technology is is new, right? So all like we are full stack. Okay, we've we've written all our code. We are connected directly to the payment systems, mm. um, to Mastercard and and all the like payment systems for transfers. So we don't we don't have any of that legacy. That allows you to move very very fast and to do things that our place just cannot do. So um, things like real-time notification of payments and like we append an emoji and we show you a map of where the transaction happened and all that kind of good stuff. Wait, wait, wait. What, was, of, what was the emoji thing? Yeah, so when you, this is something everybody loves. So with, with the Monster card, whenever you use it, um, you receive a notification that tells you, hey, you just, your card has just been used to pay £2.50 right. on Starbucks. And it comes with an emoji of the merchant. So if it's a, a coffee place, it comes with a, a like a cupa. If if uh. it's um, <laughs> if it's a sushi place, comes with this sushi one, which is really really cute, and it also let, lets you kind of like connect both things, the payment with the place where you are, um, and it, because it happens in real time, right. it's, like, the whole thing makes sense. Uh, and so, sort sort of starting from scratch, you, you have this opportunity to sort of embrace the. the kind of contemporary trends or whatever like of course we can use emoji whereas like more traditional bank the push notification comes and it's in all caps and it's got a 14 digit uh transaction exactly. id yeah got it all right exactly and they like even because of their tech they discard ton- tons of information that actually exists so when you pay with your card 
there's certain information about like the postcode of the merchant and things like that. Most of the legacy banks, they remove that info because they cannot even store it, um, which is it's, it's very weird, right? Mm. Um, because their systems were built many, many years ago. Um, in our case, we, for us, it's very simple. It's a message. It's like a tweet, right? So we store that information and we deal with it and we make the most out of it. So that's one of the kind of key things. So it's like the tech is new. Um, the other side is we don't need to cater for all the problems that legacy banks um, need to cater for. So uh, things like, I don't know, like mortgages or accounts for uh, uh, children or, you know, all these kind of uh, really, really complex um, financial products that uh, legacy banks have because their business have been kind of like taking on more and more and more of that pie. Uh, right. um, whereas our business is becoming the, the central hub for, for your money, right? Um, it's not about putting on our balance sheet all the all all your your money. It's about giving you the right tools to manage it and to mm-hmm. control it and to make sense of it and to put it to work indefinitely. So with those two things, you can design a, a product that is is fundamentally different to to any competitor because our needs and our our kind of like constraints are, are completely different interesting yeah 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 well i think that is like well for lack of a better term uh the way that m- much of the t- kind of disruption has happened through silicon valley which is to pick off kind of bits and pieces of old legacy companies and reinvent them with this new what uh, new process of development new level of technology and things like that while just focusing uh, perhaps on m- either the most lucrative or the easiest ones the low-hanging fruit stuff like that so it sounds like that's been a very quick way in for you guys. But it also, it feels a little bit like, you know, I was reading up a bit on Monzo and the history of it over these past few years, that you tapped into something that uh, really resonated with people in that the relationship with their bank did not match the kind of relationships they had with other services in their lives. It was more like the relationship they had with their gym or their cell phone provider where it's just like, ugh, ugh I don't want to, I can't touch my bank. Ugh. Um, and as it, like when you, you guys crowdfunded the first version of this and raised a million pounds in 90 seconds or something crazy like that. So clearly yeah. people are like, yes, a digital only bank that knows about user experience. Yes, I want that. <laughs> yeah, because I always give this example that is like before Monzo and I think this is true for many, many people. Your bank um, app, the icon of the app, usually was so ugly that you would, you would have it hidden in some folder or something because you didn't want it to be next to, you know, like to the good stuff. You didn't want it next to Dropbox and next to Spotify because like, it was always like, well, what's this, right? So you would just hide it there. It wasn't real time. It really like, didn't feel like a proper app, right? right? Like, like the kind of services that you use and enjoy. And I'm, I'm talking about like, like all the good stuff, right? Like Pinterest, like Instagram, the yeah. services that you use and the app is so well like polished and everything works very well. And then on top of that, um, or not on top, like maybe it's the, the, actually the, the foundation, is that as a business, we, we try to be very, very fair. So we are transparent from the get-go, uh, there's nothing hidden in Monzo. We publish our, our roadmap. We publish, uh, we have a community forum where we talk about everything. Um, there's, there's nothing, there's no like secret projects. Like all the things we are doing, we are doing them in the open. Right. We are getting feedback from our customers. Uh, so we are operating in a completely different way. That's how players use, used to, to operate, right? I think one, of the, one of the things that strikes me, like when you're talking about the app icons are just ugly for your bank. But like when I go to a website, 
for one of my banks and I log in and I see the URL like redirect like 15 times through, <laughs> like you're going through yeah. at, like single sign on dot citibank.com then OAuth dot citibank dot. And I'm like, Oh, this is like the corporate infrastructure. They're just showing me like how disorganized they are or how much legacy there is that they have to like go through all of these sites. Um, can you imagine like logging into Pinterest and having a little, a spinner coming up say, okay, we're logging you in. It'll just be a minute. Like, of course not. Right. Like contemporary, um, digital experiences need to be measured in milliseconds and not 12 different redirects that take, you know, 30 seconds to get there. So it's, it's those kind of things. That's kind of the stuff I'm referring to when I'm talking about like building trust through design, because even things like that, which don't feel like a design choice, but are fundamental to a user experience. Like how quickly do you log on and how likely is the log on to work or, or is one of these redirects going to break like that? I'm trying to get to my money. And like, it's taken a long time. That makes me less comfortable with this institution. And to, to give you precisely on that topic, um, one of the things we, th we did from, from day one um, is that in Monzo, you don't have a password. Okay, so you log in with your email the same way that Slack, right? Like you log in, we send you a magic link, you click in there and you are logged in, ah. in, the, in the app. And then from that point, you have Touch ID or fingerprint reader on your Android device. It just works, right? right. Like, it makes it makes all sense. Com compare that with legacy banks that usually they have a password that it cannot be the password you want. They are going to force you to use some uh, weird kind of like it needs to be more than six digits but less than eight. <laughs> that kind <Yeah>. of thing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you cannot use a password manager. Then they ask you here in the UK. It's very common to have like a, a keypad, yeah. like a, a mechanical, like a, like an electronical device where you need to pop your card and like use numbers. And the whole thing is, it's, it's really backwards. Right. And at the end, what they've like traditionally, the industry has basically put all that burden on the customers and said, in order to make this very, very secure, you are going to need to go through all these uh, hoops, right? right? In order to get your stuff done. And at the end, it's, it's, it's actually less secure because people end up having to write those passwords in a post-it note and keep it on their wallet yeah. because it's impossible to remember yeah. that, the conditions were so weird. Um, or you forget the pin of your card, and now you need to call them, and they send you a piece of paper that arrives two days later. Right. Like That kind of stuff, right? Um, with Monzo, we have all this good stuff of um, like face recognition, and we make a selfie of you. Um, and with that, we, we validate that it's you, and now we send you a pin, and we send it on in-app. And all this happens in, like, in seconds. So all that kind of thing is, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to call that Maybe design, like at the end, those are like technological um, uh, advantages or capabilities that are there. And we are executing on them. We are using them and putting them to, to the service of our customers. Right, right. Well, clearly it's a better user experience. So I would kind of lump it all up. Like I'm, I'm, the, the, the longer I go here, the, the less distinction I kind of make between uh, what are technological innovations and what are user experience innovations. And it all just feels like we have one product team with a bunch of people with a bunch of different disciplines that are all yes. kind of working together and, and, and where the invention comes from, uh, matters less than what, are, what is the intent of the in invention. And if the intent is around, we are trying to make it easier, safer, more private, faster, whatever for our customers, then, uh, I don't, I don't care who, who comes up with it, you know? I totally agree. I, I call all this the good stuff. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> we do the good stuff. <laughs> it's as simple as that, right? Like there's a new there's a new iPhone that the screen is bigger, and now you have an update, and the app now it's bigger. You don't need to wait to, to wait three months until we update the app. You know that kind of thing. Right. Um, it's it's all the same kind of culture of how to how to treat 
our product as a like a first class player in a in, in that kind of ecosystem. And this is something that keep in talking about like financial institutions. They they usually call product the financial product. Okay, so for them, if you go to any big bank and you say, oh, I work in product, that means that you work on a particular kind of overdraft or a particular kind of mortgage. Mm -hmm. That's what they think in terms of product. For us, product is Monzo. Is what happens when you go to the app store and you download this app and you sign up and we send you a, a hot coral, a MasterCard that you can use instantly or you can sideload it on Apple Pay. Like all that thing, that's the product. To me, that shift of uh, kind of like mentality about the scope of what we do and the impact we have. Right is what makes all the difference. That's great. I want to talk about your team and how that's all integrated and stuff like that, but we're going to do a little break first and uh, talk about one of my favorite sponsors of the show here, and that is Linode. Uh, I've mentioned them a bunch of times in, in shows in the past, but uh, I'm still a big fan of what they're doing. It's virtual private servers in the cloud. You have uh, access to a suite of powerful hosting options, and prices start at just $5 a month, up and running with your server uh, in the cloud in under a minute. Um, the, the, what Linode does, they have this industry leading performance with uh, native SSD uh, storage. So when you're using your server for whatever you're using for, it's just blindingly quick. All SSD, 40 gigabyte network, gigabit network, sorry, that's important. Uh, and uh, Intel E5 processors, they have uh, 10 data centers now uh, because, you know, you want uh, your apps to be close to your customers because the speed of light is relevant in when, you know, we're talking about milliseconds of transaction times. Uh, these 10 data centers are around the world, meaning you can serve customers faster than ever. And they have an API that allows you to automate everything. So you can literally run a script and have some more and more servers if you need to. Everything manageable via the command line. Uh, and all of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a month, monthly cap on plans and services like backups and node balancers. So you're never going to be surprised by some outrageous bill that's coming in uh, because you'll always know what's going on. Um, these servers are great for hosting databases or running a mail server, putting up your little website or operating a VPN or Docker or anything. Um, uh, and the pricing is is crazy. It's uh, for a, a server with a gigabyte of RAM. It's only five dollars a month. Five dollars a month, and they offer high memory plans, uh, starting at sixteen gigabytes of RAM for your server, going all the way up to crazy limits. Um, and since you're listening to the show, you sign up at linode.com slash presentable. That's L-I-N-O-D-E, linode.com slash presentable. You'll be supporting us and Relay, but you'll also get $20 towards your first Linode plan. So that means if you get one of those one-gig surfers, that's like four months for free and seven-day money-back guarantee. So if you try it out and it's not, not your thing, nothing to lose. Linode.com slash presentable to learn more. Take advantage of the $20 credit. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting the show and all of Relay. FM. Yeah. So uh, let's see. What were we talking about? Your team, your mm -hmm. team inside of Monzo, how user experience. I mean, it sounds like everything that the founders were thinking about with Monzo had to do with the experience, user experience. Like that was the point that they were going to differentiate on was like, we're going to just make a better experience with a bank. Uh, so that makes what you do kind of central to everything that's happening. Uh, tell me a little bit about like what that relationship has been with like you coming in with the, the founders and setting all of this up and, and all of that. Yeah, it's so, it's so funny because I, I think on how the company has grown since we started. Um, so in, on day one, there we were, I think, 13 people, which is a lot of people, okay, for a first day in a company. But if you think on the on the size of a bank, yeah. it's not it's not that many, right? No. So we 
we kind of had one of each. Okay, we had one iOS engineer, one designer, um, one uh, backend engineer. Like you know, like there was kind of one of everything right. to get to get the first um, version up while we were working on our. Uh, banking license and our application on, on kind of like the legal and regulatory side of things. The thing of um, where we are now, the company we are, I think, around 400 people. Um, <laughs> and my, yeah, we've, we've been kind of doubling in size every year, um, really um, hyper growth mode. We are serving more than 1 million customers with current accounts in the UK now. I think there's like 20 something new signups every week, which uh, tends to it, it, it um accounts for like 15% of all the new current accounts that open in the UK. Right. Compared with the old scenario where like four banks were taking yeah. all the market, it's it's quite interesting. So how long did it take to get from 13 to 400, you said you have now, people? Yeah, you know, so that's uh, uh, three years and nine months. <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really challenging, um, but it's cool to see it happening because this thing you just said of um, kind of like the user experience, um, mm. Um, I'm, I'm um, head of design. That means uh, I, I lead the design org that, that in, includes design and research. And we deliberately, we try to not be in the concept of like UX on people because the way we see it is that everybody in the company is part of the user experience. It's, it's not something that I can um, or my team can design, right? Like it, uh, you, can, you can try to create the conditions for that to happen. But at the end, the reality is like people will receive a letter with a card, and then we'll have a problem and we'll contact customer support. And that customer support needs to be spot on and fast and great and um, and give them a great experience. You know, so the yeah. whole thing, it's connected. So that's something that is really, really core to the company. We are customer-centric um, in, in a real clear way. So we try to be in your side, and design has a lot to do on that on how to make something that makes sense to you, that is easy to use, that is uh, trustworthy, that you can see that it's on our best interest, your best interest, right? Like our business is not um, you making a mistake. Right, it's something right, that right, yeah, exactly. Um, most, most of our players, their, their business is you making a mistake. And it's like, oh, haha, you didn't realize that you... You were about to go overdrawn, so now we get 20 pounds. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, where all of their margin comes from um, penalties, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Our business is not at all about that. Um, we, are, we are actually breaking even per customer now, so we are a, a profitable business uh, in terms of per user, let's say. So the more users we bring, the better the business goes. And all that money is coming from... from um, well, many, many streams, but most of it comes from um, fees on overdrafts that we tell the user two days before. So we even let you go um, slightly overdrawn and you have two days to recover your position and you don't need to pay. And these fees are completely clear. You see them in, you see them in the app um, and you can control them and, and people are very happy. Our, our um, MPS is, is very, very high. It's above 80. It's, it's more than 80, um, which is... In, in financial institutions, it seems to be kind of like the gold standard. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, so uh, when you were 13 people or 14 people, and there's one of everything, you were one designer. Yeah, that was yes. you. You were you were laying out pages. You're spending your day in sketch or whatever, right? Yes. I bet that's not your job anymore. 
No. No. <laughs> so, um, so that progression, right? For so you start with uh, you just being the one to oh, I need some help. Now we have two designers too. Oh, now we've got four designers, and one of them focuses on research, and one is more visual. And like, I'm assuming that's that's the kind of transition I see, the kind of growth of the team I see with the startups that we invest in, um, as they as they sort of you know that that all starts to multiply. Uh, what was that like for you? Is this the first time you've you've grown a team like that as well? Yes. Um, be, before this, I had only managed one person, um, and I think I wasn't a good manager at all. Um, <laughs> What's that? So, yeah, that, like because because there's a it's it's a whole I, I I don't have to call it profession, but it's definitely a discipline. It's something you need to learn, right? It's something you need to you you can only like wing it for so long, right? Like the, right. you need to to learn um, and to care and to. Like there's a level of maturity as well that I think as, as you get older, like you understand better life and understand people and the problems that people face and the things they care about, which has a lot to do with design as well, right? So there's there's all that kind of like navigation on how to, as you were saying, like I went from spending all like 100% of my time on sketch, like talking with customers and sketch, understanding the problem and designing the solution and like working that loop to uh, now my job is is kind of provide the direction of where we need to go as a team, right? And to to, to, to create the, the right conditions so other people can actually do their job. Right. All that journey, let's say, um, it's 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 super interesting. It's thrilling. It's it's exhausting as well. It takes tons of um, um, effort and and it's also frustrating in the in the sense that as a company grows in hyper growth, things break and that means that by design all the things you make will stop working in six months time, and and you know it, right? You see it coming. It's like, oh yeah, we are we are about to put this design critic system, but in one year time, this is not going to work because we cannot fit everybody in the room. Interesting. So you're talking about like not only like the stuff that you're designing and the technology that you're building, like that's all going to break, but also the systems and the social structures and the way you communicate and all that. That stuff breaks every time you double. Yeah. Yeah. So embrace that. It's painful, right? Because as a designer, you want to believe that there is a right solution, right? You want to believe that you can make things timeless. You want to believe that you can do the the Helvetica of <laughs> banks, right? But, Helvetica of but, banks. I think we just found the title of our uh, podcast. Here. That's great. <laughs> but then, but then, reality reality uh, appears in front of you, right? And you need to deal with all that um, complexity. Um, so it's super, super interesting. People and I am I'm an individual contributor by by training, let's say. Um, and now sure. I manage this like super fast growing team. Um, we have this goal that I keep saying of becoming the best design team in the world. Um and it's it's really cool because also you like as you grow and you grow professionally, you also realize the areas where where we will need to bring talent from the outside. Um, and I'm I'm sure at some point we'll hire above me. In, in terms of hierarchy, right? Like it's it's very unlikely that I will become as good as the best person that we could bring from the outside. Um, so there's that element as well of like constant check check in on your progression as a manager, as a leader, and and the progression of your team and see how all that fits together. It's it's really really cool. Like like I always say, I think I have the coolest job in the world. Hmm. But it's 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 very challenging as well because there's not so much written about this, whereas there's a lot on like traditional. Not traditional, um, kind of like startup business kind of stuff. There's tons written, uh, 
about that and kind of like the business side. Right. Designers, we tend to be, I don't know, maybe we are a bit more, I don't know what's the word, like worried about showing the things that we don't do that well and like sharing that stuff. Um, so there's there's many teams that, that you look at them and you say, oh, I would love to, to know how they operate. And, and it's very difficult to find information. So yeah, it's it's a constant, you know, like learning loop and yeah. learning things and making mistakes and all that all that stuff. Well, I also think that uh, designers in positions of leadership at companies that are increasingly bigger and bigger and more successful is a relatively new f- phenomenon, t- to be honest. Like, I think that we're always like, you know, creative directors and, and, and things like that. But the idea of like a head of product with design in the background or a head of design for a 2000 person company that has a seat at the table, like um, the precedent there is uh, recent and therefore there's not a lot of like sort of institutional knowledge that's been shared around that because it's only recently been accumulated. So uh, it might be part of it. Um, or uh, or maybe yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's something intrinsic about designers and and, and sharing knowledge. Um, I'm not. I don't know. I see it happening with engineering and engineering management. There's great books and and whatnot all about that stuff, and certainly in the um, business leadership, obviously. But I don't know. That's that's an interesting thing that it's that it is hard as a design leader to find resources to help you grow and progress in your career. It is, and to find. Um Kind of like references. Like I'm, I'm so privileged because I, I'm, I've managed to 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 have a, a bunch of people that I can trust and and talk with them. People that are in similar positions in in, in companies trying to do um, similar things in different industries, and some of them have gone through this a couple of years ahead of us. So it's really cool because you get to meet them and you go for for I don't know for breakfast and they tell you oh yeah my team now we are 30 people and we are about to start this new thing <laughs> and at that point you are six and you say wow I think well that I will never have a problem <laughs> <laughs> in nine months time you are having that problem it's right. like oh now I understand why you know so to, to be able to anticipate that's that's a very valid thing but it's it's interesting like the, I guess what I was trying to say is that I miss more content on how design can drive business but not from a point of view of like business for designers you know what i mean yeah. more thing like oh there's this amazing book that is happened to be written by a designer does that make sense yeah yeah no it does it does for sure it's not uh, going the other direction not necessarily just for designers but like how the impact that we can have on, on broader business for everybody yeah i like that i like that um having a good uh I think a reading list is something I've been been trying to work on as well because people ask me all the time. So maybe hmm. that's a little something I put some effort into. Hmm. So let me talk. I'll go back to the early days again. I had a question about prototyping and iteration and how you do that with people's money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that seems this this feels like like I talk to designers that work in hardware all the time and they kind of you know it's so hard because iterating is so expensive. Right. There's many, there's prototyping methods for mocking things up and 3D printing and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when you want the actual product to be fabricated and gone through tooling and all of that kind of stuff, like mistakes are super expensive and they're not even mistakes or attempts or prototypes and hypotheses. And that's difficult. Right. And I would, and I'm wondering what were the constraints and end opportunities for, for prototyping around, you know, you you tell somebody like, Hey, give me a few thousand of your dollars and let's try this out and (laughs) let's see if it works. And if we keep your money or not, like, you know know what I mean? So I think the key there was to not ask for a couple thousand dollars to ask for like a hundred. 
Um, yeah, yeah. That, that reviews the, the barrier, right? Um, at the beginning, I, um, we started with a prepaid card. Okay? Uh, so it, it wasn't a current account. It was a prepaid card that we built on top of um, um, some other companies. And that allowed us to, while we were getting our banking license, being able to offer kind of like some financial service. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't a bank at that point. So we could hold deposits on this prepaid card. Um, and you would top it up from another card. Um, so the good thing of that is that it allowed people to play with the product in a very small, like risk uh, controlled way. So think about it like if you want to, to start using Spotify, they don't ask you to go and like burn all, all your CDs. Right? It's, um, you, know, you can just sign up, listen to music for an hour, see if it works um, or a trial. So there was a, a lot of that on start using something small and see how it goes. That on the actual product for prototyping on like as a design iteration, money is so interesting because you can only relate to your actual expenditure. Okay. And you can only relate or it's, it, I guess it's, it's harder to relate to money that doesn't mean anything to you. So for example, if I'm trying to validate, if you understand the flow to uh, budget your, your life. And suddenly I put a salary in there that is twice as big as your actual salary right. or half as, uh, as like you cannot relate to it. Right. Like if suddenly you see there, I don't know, three grand and you get paid two, it's like, oh, uh, this doesn't make sense. Like right. suddenly your, your, your whole structure gets, gets broken. And the same with merchants. If we are trying to simulate your morning coffee, if we don't put the place where you actually have your coffee, it just doesn't make sense. Like you see it and it, it feels like it's someone else's um, account, right? Which which would be in that case. Mm. So what we did at the beginning, um, there was tons of manual work to simulate or to fake screens that, that actually contain your real life. Right. So we would do things like asking people for a statement of their real bank account from their full bank account and go and manually create fake screens for sketches and in like 20 minutes, put them in the app and see how they reacted to the actual numbers of uh-huh. the real money. Yeah, this was, it was super intense. We did yeah. things like sending reports. There was a time where we were sending reports on, on like a weekly report and we didn't have the technology to build it. So the reality of the weekly report was on Sundays, I would fire a sketch, produce these images and send them to the, to the customers on, on their apps. So it would look like the app had this new feature of like reports. But it was actually a PNG. So the, <laughs> the report machine was me moving moving boxes in, in sketch. You were the mechanical Turk. You were the man inside of the box. Yes. 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 <laughs> I did that like for a month. Or no. something. It was it was no, but then you go and build it, right? Like right. you get to you get feedback um, and you see if people like it, um, which is super interesting. So yeah, there's there's tons of nuance when you when you talk about money with people. Um, at the end of the day, I think that people like we work very, very hard to earn money, right? Because it's what enables us to 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 let to leave the ninety nine percent of people, right? That are not um, uh, like are not that privileged. Like we need to worry about money, right? So you cannot f- that. It's not. It's not. Um, I don't know. I think the closest thing that we see in other products maybe it's things like photos, like your memories, things that are very close to your heart. And if if your photo album from from your uh, Google Photos or, or Apple uh, Photos was destroyed right now, that would that would be terrible. If your bank account is depleted, that's even worse. Right. <laughs> right. Um, 
And then, like, the more you go into the things that are maybe a bit more, um, I don't know how to say it, like, like not that critical for your life, the damage is, is less and less and less, right? Like, if you lose a, a Pinterest board, it would be a big problem, but it's not as big problem that if you lose your personal photos. Sure. So, with money, you have all that nuance. And then, another thing that is it's super interesting is that people manage their money in completely different ways. And the assumptions you could make in, when you don't have good understanding of it are always wrong. So you might think that people with more money care less about money and the other way around. Um, and it's not true. Those those accesses are, are actually independent. Like there's people that care a lot about their money and they have a lot of money. And people that that care a lot about their money and they have very little and the other way around. And you meet all these interesting people that like they tell you things like, Oh, I use I use my card and I pay for things until it stops working. And that's the point I know I don't have money. Right? Which mm. It's like, whoa, that's such a like easygoing way way of managing your money. Whereas other people they download spreadsheets and they, you know, they go to the to the last digit of the last um, penny of where they've spent it and they budget everything. So when you're designing a like a bank in this case, you need to think all that. Like you need to calibrate all that and to um, make decisions and be opinionated about what you think people need, but keeping all this information, all this feedback uh, coming. And iterating with it, prototyping. Um, it's it's fascinating, actually. So, have you? How have you insti- institutionalized user research and that kind of feedback, and getting to get getting a sense of how people like what the full emotional journey people have with their money is? I, I guess I would separate it in two phases. We started. We did user research from day one. Okay, like the the first thing we did was to talk with customers and to try to understand what they needed, what what was the current situation. Mm. And this was like literally day one. Like day one, we were already organizing people to like buy them a, a bread sandwich and get to talk half an hour with them of how they were managing the money. People yeah. do anything what for a bread sandwich. That's true. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> um, but but the, the really cool bit happened um, around a year ago, we kind of professionalized user research. Mm. So we decided to bring full-time user researchers, people that are very good at doing that and to do it properly. So I'm not a trained uh, user researcher. So as a designer, as an interaction designer, I I know enough to, to be able to gather insight, but I'm not necessarily the best person writing questions for a survey, right? I'm not necessarily the best person non-biasing someone while I'm talking with them. What we've done during the last year is to kind of like create that function and professionalize it. And the results are glorious because suddenly you get all this insight that is so clean and actionable. And and you can um, share all that information across the organization. So we do user testing and we film the the people that come mm-hmm. and then we have snippets of video that we can share on Slack and people, everybody in the company gets to see it for a minute and mm. get feel how our customers are feeling about certain things. And we can uh, do surveys in a proper, proper way and to have all this um, qualitative information that usually tends to get lost in many cases and connect it with the quantitative side. So yeah, all that, I guess, what I'm trying to say is like the like our heart was in the right place from the beginning, yeah. but we didn't really have the the capacity to do it to the level of professionalism that we can now. Right, but but the sense that you that the that that it was there from the beginning feels like it makes it more easily for the rest of the company to accept and internalize because that that to me the user research is so often 
executed well and professionally, but with no, with very little impact in organizations mm. where it is, it, it springs up later in the, in the life of the company. I mean, that, that's been my experience. That frankly was much of the point of, uh, of a lot of the consulting that I was doing earlier in my career with adaptive path, which was like trying to bring this new way of thinking about decision-making into fortune 500 companies, which mm-hmm. is less about pure data uh, mixed with intuition and more about qualitative and quantitative kind of merging together and the qualitative being very sort of rigorous and ethnographic and all of that. Very, very difficult to, to move the needle inside of a large organization that, you know, this is new to, as opposed to you sort of, Hey, this is important from the beginning. We're 14 people. We're going to do this all the time. And we're going to, and you'll see the benefits all the way through and then increasing the professionalism and the, the efficacy of it over time while kind of maintaining that buy it. Right. It's exactly like that. And another cool, like, I, I wouldn't say side effect because it's one of the, our goals is by bringing professional user research in yeah. the organization, we, we also train other people. So, like, at the end, research is going to happen in the organization, but it's up to, to us to help people make better research. So there's a lot of training to do. Um, happens yeah. similar with design, right? Like, yeah. people will be designing things. You can either complain about it or you can help them to design better. But, <laughs> but it's going to happen, right? Like it's going to happen. Like that, that deck that uh, has like a huge logo and the wrong colors and whatever is going to happen anyway, unless, unless you become, I don't know, a dictatorship or something. So the only way is to embrace that and to say, actually, since you are interested in surveying our customers, let's spend three hours together and we, sh- we see how to do it better and how to do it in a way and you see all those benefits. So, there's a great thing that is happening that is that now we are leveling up the whole org in, in how we do research, how we do like design as well, like all this, all this stuff, which is, it's really, really cool. That's great. That's cool. So the last thing I want to ask you about is you mentioned earlier this like public Trello product roadmap. And so mm-hmm. I've got it here on my screen in front of me and I can't tell you how much anxiety it's giving me right now. <laughs> Just this, this idea of like, here's, well, cause as a, as a product guy, right? Like here's all the stuff that we think we're going to do and everybody can see it and they're all voting and commenting on it and whatnot. And I'm like, Oh my God, like what if you change your mind? What if things, what if your developers can't get to this? What if we, the technology doesn't work and now everyone's like, you put it in the roadmap and we saw it and now it's gone. I don't know. Anyway, um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for this level of transparency, but I, I looked at this and I was like, <gasps> Oh my God. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like we are like transparency means that we are not hiding it. Like that's our plan. Yeah. Yeah. But our plan changes. And when it changes, we communicate it. Yeah. So this is not, it's not a contract that we, we, it's not a commitment that we are going to do that. And if we don't do it, we failed. Sometimes we go faster. Sometimes we go slower. Sure. Sometimes we change direction, but, but every time um, we do it, we, we communicate it. So that loop happens. And now a customer can see and say, Oh, actually, I don't know, interest on savings is, is going to happen. You know, yeah. it simplifies kind of like what gives structure to the whole feedback loop, which is super cool. I can see, I can appreciate that. And, you know, I'm just kind of joking around around the anxiety and stuff, but there's a little bit of the, you know, like when you back a Kickstarter project and they're like, it's going to ship in uh, three months. And then like a year and a half later, you're still getting these updates about like, well, you know, we're in Shenzhen and uh, we had a problem with the tooling and then we got stuck in customs you know, and you get the, there's constantly like, that's the reality of product development is this idea of like, yes, of, absolutely. We're going to do, let me look at yours here. Uh, yeah. We're going to do interest on savings in, within the next six months, but like 
three months from now, all kinds of, of constraints and uh, unforeseen variables are going to pop up. And, oh, my God, this is actually going to take another year or whatever. Mm. Um, and the the sense of and, – and, and this will sound judgmental, but it's not or or, or – uh, or whatever, but like the sense of entitlement that people have for the products that they use. And, and like you guys said, I was going to get this in the product that I pay you money for. Where is it? That's a little bit that, mm. and I can appreciate your transparency and a huge amount of goodwill. Uh, but I think a little bit, that's where that anxiety in me came from, which is I, I've, I have never accurately really predicted when a feature is going to be able to launch. I have a sense of like, this is small versus this is big, but the, but the fractal nature of the constraints and, and, um, and things like I, frankly, I love all of that because it makes our job so interesting and challenging and, and causes this need for continuous improvement. But wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but think, think that when, when like that means that people are passionate about what you're building. Yeah. Right? Oh, like, I know. Even, even, even if you let them down, even if that's the case, and you say, "Hey, actually, we we failed on this one. We thought it was going to be easy, and we're actually putting it on the on the on the icebox, and we're not going to be working on it." Yeah. yeah. Even if that happens, that feedback is so valid because it means people care about what we are doing. Whereas, I'm pretty sure you don't care about what new feature they are going to integrate on your legacy bank. You know. No. So I think that's important. <laughs> and and then also look look at the last column that is like the things we've actually done already. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's quite large. It scrolls right? and scrolls and scrolls. It's great. You got you got a lot yeah. done. So there's there's a lot of value on that as well. Like to see the things that there was a time where we didn't have, and now we do. Right? Mm-hmm. And you can look at it and to say, I don't know, like face face scanning on on iOS, right? right? So like this was done in June in 2016. Like that's awesome. Like you can go and see it and to say, oh, like for someone that comes new to the, they haven't have never heard of of Monzo. And they go and look at it. They they can see that trajectory and to say, oh, these people have been trying to do something good for a couple of years now. Yeah. I might I might trust them now. You know, so there's a lot of value, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. Um, uh, well, we're out of time here, but this has been a fantastic conversation, Hugo. I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, where can, let's see, we can point people to your website, HugoConejo.com. Uh, I'll put links to that in the show note and follow you on Twitter with the same Hugo Cuneo. That's the most important thing. People should follow me on Twitter because that that's what makes me happy. Okay. <laughs> I'm on a, I'm on a little it feels like every other podcast I'm on a Twitter hiatus but um uh but I'll I'll go see what you're doing over there. I'll I'll log back in for a little bit and check it out. Um Hugo, thanks so much for being on the show. I absolutely appreciate it. No, thank you. I've I've had a great time and it's really really cool to get to to listen to you so it's like if i'm listening to a podcast that is is happening live which is quite cool that's very nice of you to say (laughs) thanks so much cheers and that's another episode of presentable hey got any questions you can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via twitter by following presentable fm we hope you've really enjoyed the show and if you do could you take a moment and give us a rating on itunes it really helps and we'd really appreciate it Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Jeffrey Bean, and this was Presentable.